This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Thank you very much, Roger. Good morning to you. Good morning, world, as we come your way with our regular Saturday morning visit here on the Saturday Morning Show. Lots of things to talk about this morning, and uh, we're going to get right to it. Jim Fazell standing by. He'll join us for his weekly visit coming up next on the Saturday Morning Show. Jim Fazell, it's been an unusual August so far. My golly, the rains and the heat gone away, and we've got beautiful weather. Couldn't be nicer. Yeah, it's uh, in the low 80s and pretty dry, uh, not a lot of humidity, cool at night, dew on the grass. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful weather. And uh, they're, you know, the gardens are at their peak right now. It's the time of year when we need to get out and really enjoy the, the flowers and pick the produce as it comes in. What a wonderful time of year. Something that we wait all winter and all spring for. Here it is. Let's enjoy every minute of it. I agree. You know, Last week, uh, I was talking about insect problems of people. You know, incidentally, it's, it's interesting how many people stop me all the time and ask questions. In fact, uh, not too many years ago on, on a Sunday morning, I would have a lineup of people with their little twigs and their leaves and stuff longer than the pastor's line after the church was over. <laughs> we had to put a stop to that, you know, have not, never on Sunday, especially at church. Right. But anyway, it's always interesting. So I didn't talk about one insect, one insect that's really troublesome not just to gardeners but to farmers as well, and that's Japanese beetle. These are little beetles that are greenish in color with kind of gold on the top on their thorax as well. Um, They are slow moving, but they sit on your plants and they chew the leaves and the flowers, particularly on things like roses. Uh, You can spray for them if you want, but a real quick way to get rid of those things is to take a can of water with a little bit of soap suds in it. And uh, if you see one of these on the plant, tap the plant with a can underneath the beetle and it will fall into the water and it is done. Uh, They fold up their legs and drop when they're threatened. Very good way to catch them. You don't have to squash them. You can pour all those down the drain or whatever you want to do after you've caught them and you're done with it. Now, if you insist on spraying, seven will work, although we don't really recommend that you do that because a new, a new flock comes in practically all the time. And we also hear about these traps that people will set for Japanese beetles. They have a pheromone in them that attracts the males, but it also attracts females. Uh, very interesting. It is very, very effective. In fact, if you put one of these up in your backyard, you're going to attract the Japanese beetles from the entire neighborhood and maybe even farther. So we don't want to use one of those unless you put it on a telephone pole out in the middle of Lake Michigan someplace. That's where, where you want to attract them. You certainly don't, do not want to attract them to your yard because after they finished off the roses, they're going to move to other things, and they will make lace out of all of your foliage. Now, the thing I intended to talk about this morning are diseases, things I intended to talk about are diseases that are prominent right now uh, and affecting a lot of plant materials. The first one I want to mention is a thing called fire blight. This is a bacterial disease, and it is the bane of the fruit growers who 
spent a lot of time and effort trying to control it to keep it from affecting the apples. But it also is one of the reasons we don't grow many pears in this part of the country because it's almost impossible to control that disease on the commercial pears. It also affects our garden plants, things like Catonia aster will get it. It's called fire blight because it looks like the tip of a branch has been singed by fire. It turns yellow, then black, hangs on. Oftentimes it will bend down with kind of like a shepherd's crook. Very severe in wet years. Unfortunately, the, the infection takes place early in the season, usually when the flowers are in bloom and the bacterium enter through the flowers. So that's the time that you need to use some control. If you're going to control it, first of all, you need to prune out all the in, any indication that you already have on the plant. Uh, that needs to be done this fall. And then in spring, when the plants are in flower, spray with copper sulfate. The commercial growers use streptomycin sulfate. Uh, if you have a license, you can buy that to use, but I do believe it is a restricted-use material as far as ornamentals are concerned. The next one that affects apple trees, in fact, that's, this is the primary reason that a lot of our crab apples have no leaves at this time of year, that's apple scab. It causes spots on the leaves. The leaves then yellow, and they drop. Uh, it's also severe in very wet years. The infection takes place early as the leaves are opening. And by this time of year, it can actually remove almost all of the foliage on a crab apple tree, so the trees look absolutely horrible. Strangely enough, even though that happens every year, these trees continue to flower beautifully in the spring. Now, the control of this disease is to use fungicides as the leaves emerge in the spring. Just as they begin to break from the buds, then two weeks later and probably two weeks after that. Now also, because this is such a terrible disease as far as ornamental crab apples are concerned, there are resistant varieties that have been developed over the years that simply do not get the disease. Incidentally, some of these are also resistant to fire blight. So if you're going to go out and buy a crab apple for an ornamental in your yard, look for the varieties that are resistant to apple scab and hopefully to fire blight. Uh, the next thing I want to mention is a disease that occurs all early in the year, but it has affected a lot more than just sycamore trees this year, and that's anthracnose. This is another fungus disease. It affects sycamore, oak, maple, and a few other trees. On the sycamore trees, it keeps the leaves from opening in the spring until the weather gets warm and dries off. On oaks and maples, it causes leaves to have angular brown, dark brown spots in them right now at this time of year. And these leaves generally do not fall off of the oak and maple, although they could. Um, the, the control of the thing is to be patient because as soon as the weather turns dry and warm in the springtime, the disease stops. If you have a lot of trouble with it, it can be controlled by spraying with copper. Again, these copper fungicides are excellent and they're very broad spectrum. And you have to spray as the leaves come out in the spring two or three times at two-week intervals. That will protect the leaves so that at this time of year you won't see that problem anymore. We generally do not recommend that you spray uh, for anthracnose because uh, the disease is self, self-controlling anyway. Uh, there are other leaf spot diseases that come out. We have a lot of trouble with leaf spots on things like the Boston ivy, the wonderful ivy down at Wrigley Field. And I know the guys down there spent a lot of time trying to control it. In fact, we have a 
fence out here on which we grow that very same variety of Boston ivy, which we collected from Wrigley, so we'd have an experimental plot. And when we see it showing up here, I'll call down to Wrigley and tell the guys down there, oh, we've got it, you're going to have it in a couple of weeks, so they get out and spray to prevent it. But these leaf spot diseases are prevented. You can't cure them when the leaf spot, once the leaf spots are out, but you can certainly prevent them. Now, in order to find out whether you have things like the fire blight or the Japanese beetles or the leaf spots, you need to scout in your garden. And we, we, uh, we do that as we go out and hoe out the weeds. You need to know what's happening in your garden. And, and the farmers used to call this walking the rows when corn was, was grown in rows and things were not so mechanized. You walk your rows. You look and see if there are any diseases or insects or anything that need to be taken care of. And especially weeds, if you have the ho- <coughs> excuse me, have the hoe in your hand, you can just remove that ugly weed as you see it. But walking your garden or scouting your garden is very important. You can't just let it grow. You need to be out there. I generally try to go out just as the dew uh, dries off in the morning or in the evening after the after the uh, uh, after dinner when the sun has begun to go down and the temperatures have cooled off and just enjoy being out there and enjoying nature and seeing what's really going on a lot of times there are butterflies and birds are out at that time of the morning so you can enjoy them as well anyway anyway we're having wonderful weather it's a great time of year the gardens are at their best as i said so let's get out and enjoy them can I talk to you about one disease that I'm not seeing? As you know, I have a multi-trunk maple that is absolutely gorgeous in our backyard at Sun City Huntley. And uh, a few years ago, we'd get these red spots on the maple, and they would tend to uh, eventually kill the leaf and all that. I forget what it was called, but uh, I'm not seeing seeing it anymore. Well, actually, this is a isn't. Uh it's a mite related to spiders, very oh, tiny right. microscopic critter. As the yeah. leaf begins to come out in the spring, the mite starts to feed on it, and the, and the leaf actually grows this gall around the mite. It's called maple bladder gall. They're red. Eventually, they turn dry. They'll turn black. Uh, before that happens, these mites crawl out, and they crawl down to the stem where they're going to spend the remainder of the season and the winter. Come back out the next year as the leaves are coming on. Not really anything that needs to be done about it. Uh, it goes in stages, and it, and you've noticed that. There are some yes. times when you see a lot of it, and then you won't see any. Uh, maybe a decade or two later, it comes back again. No need to do anything about it. Uh, you can can... I guess it's of interest. You can know what's happening in there. You can't see these little mites because they're microscopic. But at least understand that this is a part of nature. And as long as the tree has plenty of other leaves, there's no damage done. Okay, that answers my question. And uh, will we hear from you next week? You betcha. I'll be glad to be here and enjoy talking to you about our gardens. All right. Our thanks to Jim Fazell. He's our specialist in ornamental horticulture for decades here on WGN Radio on the Saturday Morning Show. And it's 22 minutes after 5 o'clock, and as you've been hearing from Max Armstrong the past several weeks, we're getting close to Farm Progress Show. So let's take a look at that show, and uh, Steve Alexander is the man to do it. Steve? It is Farm Show time again. Farm Progress is August 27th, 28th, and 29th in Decatur, Illinois. Matt Youngman is the National Events Director for the Farm Progress Company. And Matt, you've got another big show coming up. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about, about this year's show. Um, folks always ask, uh, you know, what's, what's new at the Farm Progress Show this year? And, and fortunately, 
it's not anything that we have to do. It's kind of like the Detroit Auto Show. The, the thing that's new is what the exhibitors are bringing, and there's there's all kinds of brand-new products being being rolled out to the public for the first time on August 27th. Let's do some of those numbers. Uh, how many exhibitors do you have? Well, we're just short of 600 exhibitors. So, you know, even considering the the ag economy where it is today, we're, we're thrilled with the turnout, just just very close to a, to a sellout, which is uh, something pretty spectacular in, in the current ag economy. What do you expect in terms of the number of people attending? Mother Nature usually plays a role in that, but typically if we if we have kind of a normal show, we, we expect about 160,000 people over the course of the three days of the event. That's a lot of folks. It is a lot of folks. It, it you know it takes a lot of effort on behalf of the Illinois State Police and the local law enforcement, uh, you know EMS, fire, a lot of kind of background details to make make all that come together and, and take good care of those folks because they're coming from typically they come from about 45 states to to 48 states somewhere right in there normally and. 35 to 40 countries are represented at the show every year. Let's do a little bit of history here. Why was the Farm Progress show started, and when did it begin? So it started in 1953, and it was kind of the the template that most other shows around the country and around the world have been built after when you talk about outdoor farm shows. And it was at the time in 1953 when there was no longer a need for corn husking competitions and, and hand corn husking. You were starting to see mechanization take over in agriculture and and it was the time when you know farmers were either going from horses to tractors or if they if they transitioned to tractors they were going from one bottom plows to two bottom plows and up to you know in the in the 60s you're at you're at eight and ten bottom plows that kind of thing and it was it was started by prairie farmer the magazine as an opportunity for the readers to get together with the advertisers in the magazine and and when it started year one there in 1953, they were they were hoping for five or six thousand people, and about a hundred thousand showed up, and it, it's been a, a great success ever since. And I presume there will be a lot of technology on display. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I'm becoming kind of the old guy here because I, I you know, when when I first started, um, you know, traded traded crops and GPS were were a little bit voodoo. They were a little bit the unknown things that that nobody knows knew what to do with and. Um, you know, we had to we had to flex and, and create rules and boundaries for our exhibitors to compete. Like when you talk when you were talking about uh, auto steering tractors and those kind of things and, and GPS technologies. And then along came drones, and and so we had to had to figure out a, a level playing field for all the drone manufacturers to to, to compete. And now uh, the technology just continues to to develop. Uh, you know, the new thing that we just dipped our toe in the water last year and now this year we're going to have two different companies competing with autonomous vehicles so they are you know if you are the operator of a combine you can build a system into your tractor and run your auger car tractor next to your combine and unload your grain on the go and then hit a button and send that tractor back home back to the corner of the field without any operator in that seat. And so as that technology grows, we, we have to develop uh, our safety and competition systems so that those machines can, can go out and, and run safely and, and yet demonstrate the technology for the visitors. Let's talk about getting tickets. How do people do that? Should they wait till they go there the day or should they buy in advance? They are certainly welcome to buy tickets at the gate if they'd like. They can get them $5 cheaper if they go to farmprogressshow.com. Uh, whether you're doing one or you're doing a hundred, uh, there's there's options there for folks to to buy tickets and and if you buy them in advance, you can you can get a five dollar discount by doing so. Mm-hmm. 
And you can get uh, three-day passes? There, we do. That's new this year. We Kubota's partnered with us on a, on a three-day pro pass, and our friend Max Armstrong is part of that package, so you get a, a signature Max Armstrong hat if you, if, you, if you do that as well. Let's talk about how people can plan their visit, Matt. Sure. So, you know, if, if you if you're interested in coming to the show, it's a it's a big show. Um, you know, there's there's no larger exhibit area anywhere in the country. Uh, our four million square feet of tent city, in addition to the 150 acres of parking and 350 acres of field demonstrations, it's a big show to visit. So wear your walking shoes and drink plenty of water. The advancements that we've made have made the show a lot more comfortable for visitors now that we have hard surface streets and permanent restrooms and a lot of those kind of things. But um, there's plenty of tools on the website to help you plan your day. You can go around and map out the exhibitors that you want to see and, and you know, check the box. And you'll have kind of a, a report and a plan to, to build your day and make sure that you don't have to backtrack across any of those seven miles of streets. Ooh, seven miles, that's a lot of walking. Are there carts available or can people bring their golf carts to get around easier? You can, if you have a golf cart, you can bring a golf cart. You buy a kind of a trail pass, sign a, an insurance waiver and bring in your own golf cart. We don't allow folks to bring ATVs or side-by-sides or anything like that for liability reasons. You can also rent a golf cart in advance. <clears throat> and then there's also an inventory of 50 personal mobility scooters that are available first come, first serve to rent uh, there. And, and you can do all of that. Uh, more information on that is available at the website. Uh, but gate one, which is the main west gate into the show site, is where the, the golf cart vendor, same same vendor, does the mobility scooters as well. Of course, being late August, there is a really good chance that it's going to be hot and sticky in Decatur, Illinois. Luckily, there are more air-conditioned tents than ever. Well, that's another thing that's come along here since we uh, moved the show dates from the end of September to the end of August. You know, it can be kind of hot in Decatur. So I think at last count at the 2017 show, there were 36 air-conditioned structures of some kind, and even some of the grain bins were air-conditioned. So plenty of places to, to stop and, and get cooled off, and I believe the ADM tent would certainly be one of those easy to find right there at 6th and Central. I know there's a lot of curiosity about hemp. Is hemp going to have a presence at the show? Well, uh, actually, right before you called, I was on the phone with the National Hemp Association, and we're... The things in the hemp world and agriculture are changing fast, and we we just kind of did a did a an audio handshake that the National Hemp Association is going to be there with a sixty foot by sixty foot information and education area, um, actually right behind the ADM tent. So we're we're really excited to have them be part of it. You know, there there's a lot of uh, it's a good way to put it. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of folks. It's a, a lot of coffee shop talk about what 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 is hemp going to be and what's this going to look like down the road and I'm not even sure that the people that are on the cutting edge are fully have a grasp on, on how big this could get. And so, um, you know, being able to offer some education to our visitors is, is I think, is going to be going to be very beneficial and very powerful. It's always a great show, the Farm Progress Show. It's August 27th, 28th, and 29th. It's at the permanent site in Decatur this year. Matt Youngman, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Steve. You can find out much more about the Farm Progress Show at farmprogressshow.com.
at 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on WGN Radio Chicago. The start of a beautiful day, as you heard, Roger, in the weather forecast. And a lot of good things happening today. I mentioned one of them earlier that uh, we'll be spending part of the day at Arlington Park Racecourse because they are honoring Mr. Richard Duchesswa. Mr. D, as he's known to all his many friends around the world, but he is uh, being inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame. We're going to be there for that and also to enjoy the races. And I'll talk about some of the other events and activities that are going on this weekend, including Mirai Sweetcorn. But right now, Samuelson says, I'm Orion asking, no, ordering you to stop picking on 4-H and FFA livestock exhibitors. I was really hoping I wouldn't have to use this headline again, but I say to PETA and all animal rights groups, stop it. Stop going to county fairs and challenging 4-H and FFA members because they are showing livestock at the fair. And it happened recently at a fair in Johnson County, Iowa. A longtime fairgoer, Sarah Krieger, shared her story as she described what happened to her and other livestock exhibitors at the fair. She said, and I'm quoting her, They, animal rights groups, have been going around at night and cutting halters and cutting the hairs off the tails of cattle, as well as letting the animals out of their pens to run loose on the grounds. This has caused me to make extra efforts, needing to take my 12 show animals home every single day of the fair for the safety of the animals. Sarah put it very well when she said, If you let them loose, they're going to run through the fair, they're going to get caught up in something, run people over. These people love their animals, and they are well cared for. I put more money into my horses than I do myself. And then, I really like this line. If you want to support an organization that combats animal cruelty, you should join 4-H. And I do thank Amanda Radke for sharing this story with her readers, including me, in BeefMagazine.com. It's time for animal activists to get out of this mode of disrupting 4-H and FFA livestock shows at county and state fairs. There really are much better ways to get your message heard than endangering animals and their exhibitors. Please don't challenge them for what they are doing because they are doing positive things every day, not only for their animals, but for their lives. They are learning lessons that will last them forever, like respecting other people's rights and caring and kindness for all God's creatures. So stop abusing the 4-H and FFA fair exhibitors. My thoughts on Samuelson Says... A presentation of Tribune Radio Networks at 21 minutes before 6 o'clock. Max Armstrong standing by with his guest to talk about markets in agriculture when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. 
Greg Grow, Archer Financial Services, joining us this weekend. Good to see you, sir. Uh, let's talk about this new month of August we're in now. It looks like temperatures are going to be fairly moderate for the at least the first part of the month, maybe warming up toward the end of the month. How bad is that? I guess it depends on where you are. Well, doesn't I think it? you know for those that planted late, uh, this cool off here in early August is going to be very beneficial, as a lot of this corn is pollinating. You know, three or four weeks later than normal, so catching a little break in the weather at the time of the eastern corn belt begins the process, might be a little beneficial. What about that crop uh, being slowed down here, though, by cooler conditions? I mean, is it somewhat of a mixed bag? It's a mixed bag. You know, the early or the mid-July heat that we experienced was probably very beneficial to late-planted crops as it gave us uh, you know, an increase in growing degree day units that the crop needs. Uh, from talking to people, you know, it's an uneven crop, depending on where you are. There's a lot of issues out there, especially in the eastern Corn Belt. But I think the heat in July was looked at as generally beneficial for late-planted crops. And we're going to need uh, another round of moisture here in mid-August and late August. But uh, right now the forecast looks a little bit uh, benign going into the middle part of August. It is interesting how much it has dried out, especially in uh well, some of the eastern Corn Belt areas, Michigan, I think, is 50% short or very short of topsoil moisture. Michigan's in a tough spot, and uh, west central Illinois uh, had missed uh, some of these recent rains and is showing some dryness, too. So crop conditions, while improving slightly last week, are, are not uh, really changing a whole lot. So it's uh, going to be a really interesting issue as we get into the fall and see what kind of real yield we have. Is crop progress at this point maybe even more important than crop conditions? I mean, as we look at how far behind in the development some of the crop is. Well, it's very obvious we're going to need a nice warm uh, September and uh, early October to finish this crop and get it black layered and get it free of frost uh, uh, threats. So that'll be watched very closely, too. And all the crop tours will fire up here. Are they going to stagger? Have you heard? Are any of them going to be a little bit later this year? I haven't heard much on that. We're seeing uh, some social media pics already from people out there wandering the countryside. Well, it's such a uh, a unique crop this year that I don't think necessarily a late August crop tour is is going to be all that... a representative of, of true of true yield potential. It's it's going to be something that uh, you know maybe tours in mid September and late September are going to be more more uh, on track. Will it be October before we really have a good handle on what's happened with these crops? Well, I think my suspicion is that uh, I continue to talk to a lot of people that see a very uneven crop, and despite crop conditions, they're one measure and one barometer we use to try and determine yield potential, but I think it's really going to be the combine in the field this year that tells us where this crop really is. Are you worried, Greg, about producers marketing based on what they see outside their kitchen window or outside their shop window or what they've seen uh, entering some of their fields in tough areas? Well, I think it's been a good rally in the market kind of came unexpectedly due to the conditions that we that we face this spring and early summer and it gave uh, producers a chance to do some good marketing and you know in the four and a quarter to 450 range and uh, you know even with uh, less than optimal yield potential those are prices we haven't seen for a few years and I think uh, producers have probably been able to avail themselves of that pretty well but th- since those prices peaked what two to three weeks ago we've seen gradual erosion Especially in the corn market, soybeans uh, falling off. Wheat, I guess, has tapered off too, has it not, in this period of time? Well, the wheat market is well supplied globally. Uh, we did see some some down revisions to the Russian wheat crop, but generally the, the global wheat supply is uh, is, is good. Uh, 
Yields here in the U.S. have been good. Uh, the strength in the U.S. dollar continues to hinder our ability to compete in the uh, global wheat market right now. Uh, wheat is uh, somewhat of a follower right now. I think the real issue is going to be corn. The balance sheet here in the U.S. is tightening dramatically with the down acres. The question is how many acres have we lost? And that's really a debate point right now. We hope to get some clarity on August 12th. Well, we are just a little more than a week away from that next USDA report. How will people go into this report, given the shock that they got at the end of June with that acreage number? I think traders are squaring or kind of uh, squaring off the books. You've seen the funds liquidating a big piece of their long position in, in recent weeks. It's hard for funds, hard for speculators to remain long in the market uh, with growing conditions being somewhat neutral or benign right now, and that's causing some liquidation ahead of this report. I think there's also a growing suspicion that we may not lose as many acres have been, has, as had been touted earlier this year. Uh, some suggest that maybe we were going to plant more than the March intentions to begin with. Uh, hmm. The corn-bean ratio was very favorable to corn this spring. And uh, that's really the issue is uh, how many acres did uh, growers really intend to plant? Should uh, growers prepare for a shock? Potential shock in this report coming up? Well, I think it's going to be the kind of report where we may get a little bit disappointed on the USDA approach to acres. Mm -hmm. uh, we may not see the kind of drop in acres uh, as has been talked about uh, for a while. But I think we're going to quickly turn to yield. And with a lot of vari variability across many areas of the Corn Belt, from damage and flooding and all these different issues, uh, I think that's really going to become more of an issue in the market as we go forward after the August 12th report. That is often the case in these summertime reports, isn't it? The it numbers is. come out, they are quickly digested, and everybody says, all right, now back to the weather. Now what's the weather look like? Yeah. That's right. I was reading some of the comments this week out of the U.S. Grains Council meeting, and they're looking at emerging markets now with... The whole world trade situation in agriculture turned topsy-turvy the way it has been in the recent months. They're talking about emerging markets such as India and Africa, developing those markets and the ethanol market in the world. Uh, that's where they see growth. Uh, ethanol is a, a good, bright prospect, is it not, globally down the road? Long term, I, I would imagine so. Right now, we're facing a glut of ethanol and weak margins here in the U.S. Plants are taking some downtime as we go into late summer. The run-up in cash corn prices here put a lot of them in a negative margin situation for the moment. Uh, getting back to your question, I think there's no doubt we're going to have to develop uh, new markets. Uh, we've been very dependent on the Chinese market for a number of years in agriculture, and we all know what's been developing there. And it's going to be incumbent on, uh, on agriculture here in the U.S. to seek uh, alternative routes. We've seen some recent estimates about what will be happening in South America, especially in terms of increased production coming along in both Brazil and Argentina. Uh, this isn't a, just a temporary one- or two-year flash in the pan, is it? I mean, from, from what you've seen looking down there, they're just going to continue to grow and grow and grow their output? Well, I think we've provided the market incentive for them to do so. Uh, the trade uh, patterns and global supply chains are shifting. There's always unintended consequences to situations like this, and South America is surely going to be a beneficiary. Greg Grow with Archer Financial Services. Ten minutes before six o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, the beginning of another beautiful day across the Midwest and a lot going on that we need to share with you. I mentioned earlier, I'm talking to Jim, that uh, special event at Arlington Park Racecourse today to honor Mr. D, Richard Duchessois. 
as he is inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame, and we'll be there for that. The other good news you've been hearing from Spike O'Dell this morning, Mirai Sweetcorn available. Didn't talk to Gary Pack this week at Twin Garden Farms, but he told us a couple of weeks ago that he thought the uh, end of July, early August, it would be ready uh, because of the late planting start they got this year. But uh, then I got a note from the uh, farmer's market in Huntley, which is where I live, saying me rye sweet corn will be available this Saturday at the uh, Huntley farmer's market. So that's something special to look forward to. And uh, a lot of other things as well. As Jim Fazell mentioned earlier, time to really enjoy the fruits of the garden that you've been working on all year because it's certainly coming to harvest. Didn't want to mention a couple of other things too. A tragedy, but uh, also uh, a good note about it. I'm not a Facebook user, but Max Armstrong shares with me some of the stories on Facebook, and uh, he sent it on to me saying, Ugly from every angle. A Sharon, Wisconsin dairy farm fire night before last was fought for seven hours by 18 fire departments from two states, Illinois and Wisconsin. They used 200,000 gallons of water to fight the fire. Most importantly, no firefighters were hurt. No cows were injured. One firefighter, a firefighter shared with Max, never ceases to amaze me the amount of neighbors from close by and far away, who show up with cattle trailers and took the herd so they could be safe and milked. And to the firefighters from Sharon, Wisconsin, and the neighboring towns, we say thank you for your service. Eighteen fire departments that turned out to fight that barn fire. And uh, cause not determined, but at this time of the year, with fresh hay being put in the hay bow and maybe some of it uh, providing combustion that bursts into a flame. I know that on our dairy farm, we were always concerned about putting in uh, hay that was wetter than normal. But uh, if there can be a happy ending to this story, I guess it's the fact that no cows Uh, were killed and nobody injured and 18 fire departments that used 200,000 gallons of water to fight it and put it out. So uh, a good story there. The uh, other good story is the fact that uh, we're going to sell more beef to Europe. Uh, The announcement yesterday at the White House, as a matter of fact, It's kind of interesting that uh, they used the White House to uh, make the announcement because uh, the agreement was signed by Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and uh, Stavros Lambrinidis, the European Union's ambassador to the United States, The president who made the announcement joked that his administration was working with the EU on a 25% tariff on all Mercedes-Benz and BMWs coming into our nation. So we appreciate, I'm only kidding, 
he said as laughter broke out. But in that meeting of European Union officials in the uh, Roosevelt Room of the White House yesterday, there were also quite a few cowboy hats worn by American ranchers present in the room for the announcement. The challenge that we've had with Europe is they would not accept some of our beef because of some of the ingredients we use to produce it, uh, and one of them being hormones. And so the president said in the first year that duty-free U.S. beef exports to the EU will increase by 46%, and over seven years will rise 90%. In total, the duty-free exports will rise from $150 million to $420 million. That's an increase of over 180%. Now, as we look ahead to events that are coming up, we've talked, of course, about the Farm Progress Show But uh, I want to talk about one other activity that's available to you. It's a a thing that I had the opportunity to do two or three years ago. Fly in the B-17. That's the uh, restored B-17 four-engine flying bomber that changed the history of the war in Europe, uh, the Second World War. They have restored the airplane, and it's called Aluminum Overcast, and I had the opportunity to fly in it. You will also have the opportunity. And uh, coming up in August at the Waukegan National Airport, August 16, 17, and 18, Kokomo, Indiana, the Kokomo Municipal Airport on August 20th, and uh, there are several other stops that the airplane will be making as well uh, during its uh, time here in the Midwest. So you can look that up, and uh, it's called the Aluminum Overcast, the B-17. And then coming up next week, the uh, event up in Redwood Falls, Minnesota, Farm Fest, It's become a pretty big show in that part of Minnesota, next to North Dakota. And uh, so that will be on August uh, 6, 7, and 8. I'll be there on opening day, August 6, to join my friend, farm broadcaster Lynn Kettleson, on the air there. And then the next day, on Wednesday, August 7th, at 10.30 a.m., House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson will be hosting a listening session. The session will feature Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue, as well as members of the House Agriculture Committee and the Minnesota Congressional Delegation. Uh, Peterson, who I've known for many, many years and have interviewed many times, said, I'm looking forward to the lively discussion that I'm sure will take place during our listening session and want to thank FarmFest for providing the opportunity. Unfortunately, I won't be able to stay till Wednesday to sit in on that uh, event because next Wednesday I'll be at the Boone County Fair near Belvedere, Illinois. Be there at noontime on Wednesday 
and look forward to uh, joining a lot of fairgoers at the Boone County Fair again this year. That's always a fun stop on our lineup of events during the summer. And we've already talked about Farm Progress Show, but uh, before that happens, it's the Half Century of Progress Show. That will be at Rantoul, Illinois, August 22 through 25. And that's a Thursday through Sunday show, and Max and I will be on stage at that event on Saturday, and uh, the hours are 3 to 4 p.m. Then the Farm Progress Show, as you've heard, August 27 through 29 at Decatur. September 10 through 12, the Big Iron Show in Red River Valley Fairgrounds in West Fargo, North Dakota. September 17 through 19, the Ohio Farm Science Review. And October 15 through 17, Sunbelt Expo in Moultrie, Georgia. Going to be a busy summer, and Air Orion will get a lot of time in the air as we fly to all of these events. Well, that's our time here on this Saturday morning. Thank you very much for spending some time with us. We'll look for you next Saturday. Our thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering, and uh, he always does a great job every week. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.